this morning we chanted the Genjo Koan, and this after afternoon we chanted the Mountains and Water Sutra. Do you notice some common themes? Several that I would like to talk to you about are um, the Buddhas expressed in each drops drop of water, sentient beings, worlds of sentient beings, and uh, still more perspectives on this thing called flowing. Yesterday, we read a line, incalculable Buddha lands are realized within even a single drop of water. Here on this Buddha land, um, especially during the retreat, we have an opportunity to glimpse these Buddha lands, these lands within lands, uh, particularly when we settle enough to start to see there are sentient worlds within worlds. When you get still and you look and listen at your chosen tree, have you all had an opportunity to do this? Choose a tree? Did you actually go visit? In your stillness, do you see worlds coming alive? Roots are descending into an unseen world underground. See that? A bird passing through the branches in a world of magnetic migration routes and clouds and starlight. A tiny being exactly the same color and texture as lichen, but hustling up its vast tree bark world. We're also walking around this grassland here, and we're walking around the woods. I want to say something about this land of blades of grass and other beings, formerly a horse pasture and then a hay meadow, and uh, we're making efforts to steward it back to the Blackland Prairie that it once was. If you visit a healthy, functioning prairie, of which there are few now, uh, it's like going to a coral reef. Um... You need to be able to be still and see the multitude of life because a prairie's version of barracudas and sea turtles is smaller, but the world is just as dynamic and just as astounding. The species richness of a, of a healthy prairie could be similar to a coral reef. It's hundreds of species per acre. And the roots in a prairie are another world they are not like a lawn, you know, the world under a lawn, because the roots go very deep, and they're bringing water and oxygen very deep right down into the water table. And the communion of the things that live in this world underground is vast. I read a paper about wetlands, which are also diversity hotspots, saying that a restored wetland, five years after restoration, the animals have arrived in quantities kind of similar to what we call a reference wetland, which would be a landscape, a wetland landscape that's never been tampered with much. And there's no place in the world that hasn't been changed by the presence of humans and the things that we do now. But we have reference sites, which are almost like what a wetland may have been like 300, 500 years ago. So if you compare a five-year-old wetland to a hundred-year-old wetland, the animals might be similar, especially the birds. Um, but other things are not similar. If you compare a 50-year-old and a hundred or 200-year-old wetland, 
then you start to get the amount of plants and fungi and um, bacteria, all the small beings are starting to come in in numbers that are similar to a reference wetland and develop the kind of relationships that they have. Um, it's a community. But it takes 100 years before you start to see the worlds of the soil chemistry look like a of um an original wetland. It takes a hundred years for a restored wetland to look like an original wetland. I think it must be very similar to a prairie. A hundred years. So this is a long timeline and prairies are really precious not only because of the benefits that we can see, but the worlds embodied in prairies. Sentient worlds. So our effort to begin restoring this prairie, which fortunately it is not picked over, it's not eroding, it's got a lot of things going for it, but what it doesn't have is a lot of species diversity. It's got one or two invasive grasses that want to eat the whole you know, community and change the soil structure. So, so this is part of what we'll be doing. I recommend visiting, and maybe we could go as a sangha, to uh, remnant prairies in um there's the deer park lother prairie nash prairie mowatney kind of you know 30 to 45 minutes outside of houston and to go is like again to visit a coral reef so that might be nice to see those worlds and to see what our prairie could look like someday but you can already see uh, worlds when you go out on the grassland um Yesterday, I went out with my cookie at the break, and I saw two meadowlarks, and they were looking at me. And, you know, when birds are concerned, what's done? When they're concerned about your presence, they get real long necks. You know, they're looking at you like this. And I was trying to reassure them, I just want to be here for a moment. This is your world. Um they're doing this, and I have raised my cookie to my mouth, and it was too much for them. They took off and landed on the wire there and still doing this. She's still there. So it's like your, your, your talk yesterday. Water sees water, mm -hmm. and other sentient beings see us. We see them. So I also wanted to talk about Dogen's words about shifting perspectives so that we're not seeing things from a necessarily from a human point of view i think it's human to be able to shift perspective too it's human to be able to hold knowledge that we can't see everything as humans let's see i'll reread part of what we read here he wrote the way of water penetrates everywhere above and below vertically and horizontally Still, in the sutras, it is said that fire and wind go up, while earth and water go down. But this up and down bears some study. The study of up and down of the way of the Buddha, in the way, in the way of the Buddha, where earth and water go is considered down, but down here does not mean some place to which the earth and water go. Where fire and wind go is up. The translators put this in quotations. While the Dharma realm has no necessary con connection with up and down or the four directions simply on the basis of the function of the four or five or six elements, we provisionally, provisionally 
set up a Dharma realm with directions. So we have the concepts of up and down, and we kind of played with them north, south, east, and west a few times in this retreat, but they're for navigating the relative world. It's provisionally set up in the Dharma realm. And these are very useful tools. But it's also very good to know that this both exists and doesn't exist. Uh, I'd like to offer an illustration of this. It's not one that Dogen mentions in his uh, writing, but hopefully it's not too wrong. I think of it as, as part of the study we are encouraged to do. A few days back, we were reading about the incomprehensible. The incomprehensible is literally an everyday occurrence. In the morning, do you see the sun starting to come up in the early morning meditation? You see the light is changing. Well, you know the light is changing, or maybe you don't know. It, moment to moment, it's changing, right? But it takes a few minutes before you can actually see that there's some difference, right? It feels like it's a... It's a slowly unfolding event. And we know sometimes days just whiz by, right? And sometimes not. And sometimes nights can be very, very long, right? But really, it's not fast or slow. Our whole days are organized over the sun coming up, you know, over there-ish, and then going down over there-ish, right? But that's not really what's happening. What's happening is that this planet we're on is turning in that direction, and it's turning over a thousand miles an hour. But we don't feel it, do we? <laughs> it's a flow that we don't feel. And not only is it going a thousand miles an hour, a thousand thirty-seven, something like that, we're going around the sun, right, at sixty-seven thousand miles an hour. So try to conceive of that. That's kind of hard, right? <laughs> the The idea of traveling at a thousand miles an hour, maybe you could kind of, you know, conceive of it because you can get an airplane, go three to five hundred miles an hour, right? And you don't really, you, you cannot be aware of it. It's possible to travel. Some people don't want to be aware of it. They put the shade down. And they they worry about the armrests, and they miss the whole fact that they're flying in the sky with snacks somebody brought to them. It's just <laughs> like like a you know something out of um, a Buddhist sutra. You know, it's like being a heavenly being, but it's easy to miss it, right? So that's five hundred miles an hour, and we miss it. So a thousand miles an hour—that's kind of inconceivable. Sixty-seven thousand miles an hour—inconceivable. And then add to the fact that the planet is chasing the sun, you know, through the galaxy, which is speeding through the cosmos. So you can see a, a like a video um, model of it, which itself is amazing, but you can't viscerally feel that kind of flow, right? It's, it's, it's beyond the human realm. We're not built for that. But we can talk about it. So um, this experience of riding on the earth and not realizing that kind of flowing is just like what Do Dogen is telling us, that fish and dragons, whatever those are, are experiencing their life in the water. They, their world in the water is towers and palaces, and it's endless as long as they're in the water. 
we're riding on this planet and we, we could spend a whole life not even knowing that we're going 1,000 miles an hour, 667,000 miles an hour. Never know it. In the sutra, it says, again, I'll read it again, Never let, nevertheless, when dragons and fish see water as a palace, just as when humans see palaces, they do not view it as flowing. And if some onlooker were to explain to them that their palace was flowing water, they would surely be just as amazed as we are now to hear that the mountains flow. Still, there would undoubtedly be some dragons and fish that would accept such an explanation, the railings, stairs, and columns of palaces and pavilions. We should calmly consider over and over the reason for this. If our study is not liberated from these confines, we have not freed ourselves from the body and mind of the commoner, and we have not fully comprehended the land of the Buddhas and ancestors. He's saying that there might be some dragons and fish that accept such an explanation as their homes being part of a flow, that their water world is flowing. And these are these some fish, these are students of the way. They're open to learning about reality and studying it and realizing it. We want to be like these fish, don't we? We want to be the fish that can accept such an explanation. I have an idea when I study this passage that like creatures in the ocean or like humans and everything else riding this planet, we not, might not be aware of some flow that we haven't got the perspective of yet. Could be a changing climate, could be changing society values like in 1930s Germany. Are we in the bottom of a lake right now with this flow that doesn't seem like it? Perhaps. One more story. Um, a couple of retreats here, like 20 years ago, I got the job of Anjap for Reverend Anderson Roshi. I was given the job. I didn't ask for it. <laughs> and an Anja is a helpful person like a Jisha. But they, they are more attentive to things like the food and the tea, especially, and um, mending and more, more things that are less ceremonially oriented. And I was very overeager in my role. <laughs> I brought the Roshi water and sugar-free snacks from the kitchen like twice as, I don't know, maybe hourly even, it seems like in my memory. <laughs> I was always at the door. I wanted to help him. Um, always asking, can I do something for you? I just never gave him any peace. And he probably was worn out trying to come up with tasks for me. So eventually I noticed that when I gave him his new tray with a glass of water and snacks on it, he would go and get the old glass of water I'd given him, <laughs> which was still full. <laughs> and he would drink it down very <laughs> mindfully and reverentially until it was gone. And then he would put it on my tray and he would take the new one. <laughs> <laughs> and it took me a while to see this too, because all I'd ever seen were people who meet, who, you know, when you're thirsty, you put a glass under the spigot, you fill it up, you take a few dra drags out of it, and then you dump it out, right? Not thinking. And this was the first time that I saw somebody show me the value of water. 
he was demonstrating that waters and mountains are the expressions of old Buddhas. Maybe we be the ones showing the way to all beings with every glass of water. <laughs>